Justin Berger in his book, <clears throat> so loved, God so loved that he gave, a woman who lived under the bridge in Chattanooga, Tennessee. He used to help her uh, with odds and ends, and, and one day she gets raped. And so the church gets involved and takes her to the hospital and, and to help her start to give vouchers. But then they recognized that she was actually giving most of these vouchers off to someone else. So they confronted her, saying that, why are you giving it away with this we are giving to you? And her response was, why is it that I can't give too? That stumped them. What she was saying was a good learning for the church. That if we are the ones who have received, and we have received generously, why is it that we cannot give too? And so it was unthinkable for her, having lived under the bridge among all of those peoples, having received something which she didn't deserve that she can hold on to for herself. And she passed on to the others. So as recipients, as we, as recipients who, um, who have received, the good news is this, that we are not just the recipients of his grace, but that we are also participants in the spread of his generosity. We're not just recipients, but we are participants. <clears throat> We've been looking at the series uh, for the past two Sundays, and this is the third Sunday. We said, God so loved that he gave. And the two Sundays ago, we looked at, do you remember? The gratitude. We said, God so loved the world that he gave would elicit in us three responses. The first one is gratitude. And we looked at the three characters from the Bible. We looked at the praying Zechariah, the one who was praying for a son. But the first time he opens his mouth, he prays to and thanks God. It's about God. So his priority, the praying Zechariah and his priority. And then we looked at the pregnant Mary. You see, teenage pregnancy was not accepted, but it was dangerous. But she considered it her, her privilege that she would be so chosen by God. And then we looked at pondering Joseph of the persistence, even though it was challenging in many situations and we saw this gratitude is something that no challenge no circumstance would take away that's the kind of gratitude god gives our hearts last week we saw what grace we looked at grace we saw grace is something that we didn't deserve we said grace is is is, is the embodiment of grace is the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the king of kings in this wild pursuit of you and I, such, um, such sinners. And that we also saw about grace. We said grace is the most perishable commodity, commodity and most destructible. That if you don't give grace when it's due, then the value of grace is lost. There's no point in giving grace when it's, when it's much later. So therefore, we saw God in the right time 
while we were yet sinners. And that it's destructive. We said if you hold on to grace, from Hebrews 12, 15, we saw that it bears this root of bitterness that can corrupt and defile many. Uh, we looked at grace. And so today we want to see generosity. How is it that we can be those channels of un unbridled generosity? And we want to do, uh, see that in three things. One is, what is generosity? What is biblical generosity? And then, why should we be generous? And the third, how is it that we can be generous? The what, the why, and the how. And so, first, the definition of generosity. I want us to understand that this generosity is not from the overflow of abundance. It's not because we have a lot. It's not that we got this uh, jug of milk and we poured ourselves to the brim and we got just a little left. And so, we want to either throw it or give it to somebody. But, you see, it's not because of its abundance, but because of a heart that's full of gratitude. It overwhelms. Generosity is a result of gratitude. That our hearts be grateful. In the paradox of generosity, this is what it says. It says, generosity is not a random idea. It's not a haphazard behavior. It's a moral orientation. A moral orientation. What that means is just how we say we are oriented to certain things, the certain things that we do, but because we have this gratitude in us because of what Jesus Christ means to us, there is this moral orientation of being generous. Generosity. And on this quote from a book, Start With Generosity, it says, Generosity is not simply giving anything in abundance, but rather giving things that are good for others. Not because I have, but because it's needed for the other person. And given often sacrificially. And so generosity is the free will giving of love, of attention, of tangible help and resources because oftentimes generosity, we just reduce it down to just money. Money is important to give, but generosity is broader than that. Interestingly, the word generosity, the etymology, the, the origin of that word is from the word gen, gener in, in Latin, which really means of noble birth. You know, gen, generation, beget, we see in the Bible often, it keeps coming up again and again. That word really means of, of a noble birth. And so I ask myself, and I want to ask you today, that who among us is not of noble birth, those who have experienced the the the, the birth in God's kingdom. Would it not be us who are that of noble birth? And so we cannot afford not to be generous. Generosity, therefore, is this natural reflex of those who have had the birth in the Lord. A natural reflex. I'm not sure whether you've heard of this, but I was, it's a legend of a story which says uh, Alexander the Great, he was, he was uh, riding a horse along with his 
officials, and he comes across this beggar who reaches out and, 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 and says, uh, you know, ask for alms, and, and Alexander the Great dips his hand into his bag and throws some gold coins. And so his official said, but emperor, uh, he, he's just a beggar. Copper coins would have been sufficient. Why gold coins? And it is said that Alexander the Great said this, that, you know, it may be, a copper coin may be enough for that beggar, but it does not match the giving or the generosity of Alexander. And when God gives, he gives not just because how much we need, but he is given an abundance. Generosity, therefore, is the abundance of this gratitude of what God has meant to us. Nothing less and nothing more. As the children of the King of Kings, we have this unnegotiable privilege to be gracious just like him. The unnegotiable privilege. So generosity then, if, if it's really just not just the attitude, but it's also the action. It's not just the moral orientation, but it's also the more moral obligation. You see, we all want to be generous. We all know we need to be generous, but it needs to move to action because God so loved that he gave. He acted. Love must act. It's a work. And so when we talk about generosity, we're saying that it adequately covers the essential need of the other person in whatever it takes. So the question I have for myself and for us is, what's our GQ? I thought I might crack a smile there, but... Okay. Not gentleman's quarterly or whatever, but what's your generosity quotient? What is it that we who received much, how would we respond? So I want to take you through why we need to be generous. And I want to present to you first that God is the, our example. John 3.16 is the greatest example, right? Or the greatest proof of that example, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And, and God is a planned giver. I want you to understand this. God, you know, when you read John 3.16, that was not like, whoop. What, how, did that, how did God decide that? He's been talking about it from Genesis 3.15 about the seed of the woman. And so he has planned and he has given. He is, he is a God who promises. You see, promise is an encouragement of generosity in the future. You get that when I say, when I promise, it is about giving in the future. It's about generosity in the future. And, and get this, there are 3,573 promises in God's word. 3,573 times God is telling us, a God who does not need a promise, because God says, listen, I, you know, I don't, need to, I don't need to be able to promise you before I do it. I just do it. He could have done that. But for your encouragement and for mine, he promises about his generosity. And he's a generous giver because he gave of the very best in heaven. He gives us his son. And he's a cheerful giver. So loved. You know, it, it is like there's no superlative to match that intensity. 
so loved, so loved. Dale Moody <clears throat> had met with um, Harry Morehouse. Harry Morehouse was called the boy preacher. He didn't have a beard. He didn't look more than 17. <clears throat> and and um, Dale Moody didn't really want him to preach at his church. But for two days when D.L. Moody was away, uh, Harry Moorhouse was speaking, and he spoke from John 3.16. When Moody came back, he asked his wife, how has the sermons been? He says, no, people are just so intrigued by this God who loves. And so he who was to uh, speak for only two days, he speaks for another seven days, total seven days. Every day he speaks from John 3.16. On the seventh day, he gets up and he says, listen, brothers and sisters, I've been scouring the whole Bible, but I think I came back to the same words, John 3.16, and I'm going to speak to you about John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave. And this is what he ends this by. And he says, my friends, for a whole week, I've been trying to tell you how much God loves you, but I cannot do it with this poor stammering tongue And if I could borrow Jacob's ladder and climb up to heaven and ask Gabriel, who stands in the presence of the Almighty, if he could tell me how much the Father has loved the world, all he could say is, God so loved the world that he gave. Talking about you, brothers and sisters, he loved you. A generous God, an abundant, abundant giver. In 2 Corinthians 9, 8, this is what it says. For God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things and at all times make you abound in every good work. Like Paul has to just reemphasize that again and again and again and again. That we are once with generosity. I was reading this uh, from Ezekiel chapter 20 about the uh, land of milk and honey that God brings the nation of Israel to. In Ezekiel 20, it says, flowing with milk and honey, which is the glory of all lands. It brings them to a land of milk and honey, the glory of all lands, an abundant giver. And he's an unprompted giver. John 3.16 did not happen as a result of your prayer and my prayer. He gave before you asked. There's this verse that we were talking about it just before I came up in Isaiah 65.24. It says, I will answer them even before they call me. Even while they're still talking among themselves, I will go ahead and answer them. That is your God. That is my God. A God who answers with such generosity. A God who is our example. And if we have a God who is such, with such example, then we need to, we have to see what is it about us as children? What, why is it expected of us? Now let, me, let me walk you through five quick reasons why generosity is expected of us. Because one, let's turn to that in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Would you turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 8? And 
if anybody has got that first, and you can read that, uh, 8, 17 to 18. I'm going to read this, and then, you know, the others can join in later, all right? So, 17, beware lest you say in your heart, my power and my might has gotten me this wealth. If you say, you know, whatever you are, whatever you've reached, if you say you're a self-made man, beware, because remember, it's the Lord your God who gives you the power to to get wealth. It reminds us of who the true giver is. Our generosity, when we give, it reminds us of the true giver. That he's the one who allowed for us to, uh, to, to give. Turn to First Chronicles chapter 29 verse 14. First Chronicles chapter 29, verse 14. Hold, if you get there, hold, hold it. Uh, 29, First Chronicles 29, 14, because here David is recounting. David had actually wanted to build a temple, but he was told that no, he, his hands are bloody. He's been, he's been to many wars and he can't build the temple, but his son will build the temple. So he gathers for himself all the things that are needed for the temple. You know how much in, in chapter 22, verse 14, we read this, that he, he gathers 100,000 talents of gold, a million talents of silver, and iron and bronze that could not be counted, all that he brings. And this is what we read in First Chronicles 29, verse 14. Who's got it? Somebody can read that. First Chronicles 29, 14. Thank you. Through your generosity will result, uh, through, sorry, through your generosity, what, what comes from you, we have given you only what comes from your hand. It's because of what you have given, your generosity. 1 Corinthians 9, 11. 1 Corinthians 9, 11. <clears throat> it talks about how thanks how generosity results in giving generosity because when you're generous we read in first corinthians chapter 9 verse 11 that you will be enriched in every way so that so that so that you can be generous on every occasion and through your generosity it will result in thanksgiving to god paul is saying i've received And because you have given, and in your generosity, God's going to give you so that you can give. And in your generosity, we will be thankful to God. When you're generous, it results in thanksgiving. Generosity will rank a priority. If you turn to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, somebody getting there can read that. Hebrews 13, 5. It's a beautiful verse. You see, 
Generosity ranks our priorities. What it means is when I give generously, it shows to me that this money, this thing that I have, is not so important that I hold on to, but because I, I believe in Hebrews 13, 5, which says that, that I, I will, I'll be free from the love of money, and I'll be content with what I have, and because I will be content with what I have, God says to me, I will not leave, leave you nor forsake you. You see, money is going to leave you and forsake you. And if you hold on to that, then you might just miss everything. There's a Hebrew saying, which I heard uh, David Prager say, and I thought it was just a beautiful uh, imagery. You see, God is like light, the Hebrew saying goes. God is like light, and prosperity is like a shadow. If you seek the light, if you seek God, prosperity will follow. But if you seek prosperity, if you try to catch the shadow, it will keep moving. I, I thought that was, that just gives a very clear indication and I want to distill it down to this priority. And God says, be free of the love of money and be content with what you have because it's because of God that we can be generous generosity because of God. Tim Keller says, and our hearts are an idol factory. They create idols in our heart. It takes the good things and turns them into ultimate things. And so that we would be devoid, 2 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, the love of money is the root of all evil. You see, we think that money would give us Happiness or satisfaction helps us settle down. Well, you know, the things that we can do, they're just like the passing shadow. And when we are generous, it indicates to us and it indicates to others that it's in God that we trust. Matthew 6, 19, which is a, another great verse, which talks about, you know, generosity rewards us with an out-of-the-world life, uh, out-of-the-world investment. You see, when I'm generous, I lay up treasures in heaven where no, rot, no, no moth or rust can destroy, no thieves can steal. Generosity rewards So God is an example, and we as his children, we have this expectation of generosity. And having said that, would you turn with me now to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 to 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 to 12. There are many passages where uh, it talks about giving and generosity and and yet, this is a passage that we've been studying in, on Friday, and, and so I thought it would be good for us to freshen our minds, and, and um, I, wouldn't, I, I want to read through with just pause and just to reemphasize the lessons that we get. So I'm going to read from verse 6, and these are God's instruction for us to give. Verse 6 of 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And the point is this. 
Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Generosity is the implication to generosity, isn't it? That if unless you are generous, then then the then there, there's no um, bountifulness in your giving. This is not prosperity gospel. This is to say, I'm going to trust God and that he will make it possible for me to give according to how he has blessed me. And verse 7, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly, nor under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You see, if you have gratitude, it invokes cheerfulness. Our, our generosity comes from gratitude, because when you're grateful, then you're cheerful and you're happy about giving. God loves a cheerful giver. 8 to 10, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things, that at all times you may abound in every good work, in every good work. Your gener- the abundance of generosity that God blesses you with so that you may abound in every good work, and not for us to hold it for ourselves because we read in verse 9, as it's written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. And he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for the food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. When you give, it increases the harvest of your righteousness. And again, I want to reemphasize this point. I know this passage I take because it has been abused in the Christendom. They... They use it to say you give to God a seed and then it will multiply and and no, that is not the intent. Not we don't give so that we get for ourselves, and then that would be that would be obnoxious and heretical. Generosity is that when we give, it helps us to stay generous so that we can continue to give. Verse 11, and you'll be enriched in every way to be generous, in every way through which you'll produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of the service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgiving to God. A generosity, not because we would be considered generous, not because if when I start to give that I will be seen as a generous one, then the purpose of generosity is defeated. But if I'm generous so that God would be, there would be thanksgiving to God, that the needs of people are met, not for selfish reason, but for those who are in need, then it instills a thanksgiving. Now, I know, you know, every time from the pulpit we speak about giving and generosity, it is always considered to be like, oh, my, again, the church is asking for money. But I want you to stay with me as I walk you through how do we show generosity. 
because it's God's word. The gratitude will bring about generosity. Not for selfish reason, but for God's glory. And so I want you to remember that generosity is not limited to money. It, is, it could be love, it could be affection, time, energy, attention, care, encouragement, empathy, any of those that you're generous with. So what I'm going to do is I want to I show how we can be generous in various areas and various circles, if you would. <clears throat> First, I want to talk about generosity towards one's self. Generosity towards oneself. It's called self-generosity. There's a term that people have for, for, for people who care. Because self-care is important. See, the self-generosity is in two types. One is where you need to care for yourself so that you can be caring and you can give. You see, it's like the uh, mass that drops and, you know, when, in the deep, when, it, when the aircraft depressurizes and you have to put the mask on, on, your, on yourself before you can help someone else. And I understand that part of self-care, but sometimes and often self-generosity moves to being selfish generosity. You see this line between self-generosity and the selfish generosity is like this very thin eyes that we walk on. We, we want to pamper ourselves. We think we've earned it, and so we give for ourselves. And guys, I want to say this very specifically because we have this tendency to come up with excuses to, to say why we need something that we don't need. Self-generosity is taken to, a, to an extent where we have pampered ourselves. This is what Paul's solution is. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. <clears throat> verses 24 to 26. Someone can read that chapter 9, verses 24 to 26. Right, Paul, in giving this imagery of an athlete, and he says, you know, I, I discipline myself and I keep it under control. And he exercises self-control and everything. You see, what Paul was saying, I'm going to be miserly towards my own needs, but generous towards the need of someone else. You see, self-generosity is, is that, yes, you care for yourself, but you want to put limits on generosity for yourself. John Newton, the example that comes to mind is, is that he had identified how much he needed to live, his basic living, and he decided then to say, I'm going to give as much as I spend on myself and others. Well, I don't know what God's calling you to do, but generosity must begin with being careful about ourselves and spending excessively on us. But let me move on to spousal generosity as husbands and wives. How, how are we generous 
with each other. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33, if somebody can read that, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33. <clears throat> However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. See, this love for the wife and respect for the husband. In First Peter chapter 3, verse 7, it says, uh, Peter is saying that you live in, in a way that it's an understanding way and that you honor the woman as a weaker vessel. You see, there's, there's generosity of love and generosity of respect within, within the spouse, extremely important for your marriage. I was reading an article about a pastor who has conducted more than, he says, more than hundreds of weddings. And he says he has he he recognized that the way they deal with, him, deal with each other, the couple, the way, way they deal with each other at the wedding cake, at the cutting of the wedding cake, he's able now to say how the marriage is going to be. You see, sometimes that's that, uh, you know, prank might just overstep just a little more. This lack of love and respect begins. You see, it's it's this love to the wife unconditional. And it's the respect to the husband, which has been identified by the psychologists of this world at this time to say that those are the essential components of, the, of a marriage. God has already said that so many years ago. You see, the words that we share with each other, Proverbs 18, 21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. How we talk to each other, husbands, you know, I can, I can relate as a husband. Wives, you see, we, we are so easy with our words. Be generous, kind-hearted. Generosity begins there. Words said in jest or for a laugh have pierced the toughest hearts, now plainly reads the epitaph, killed in a war of words. So there's marital life insurance, if you were. It begins with this habit of generosity. It begins at home. And then it moves on. There was this uh, story that I read about this man coming in, uh, a, a friend coming in with, coming in with this man and um, into this man's house. The wife had just swept the floor. It was all clean. And this man walks in with his muddy shoes. And so this friend turns to the wife of this man and says, his shoes bring in a lot of mud, do, do they not? And so the wife, he, uh, she, with, calmly and with smile, she goes, gets the broom and, and cleans it off and says, you know, uh, but it brings him to. Relationships are messy. It brings in a lot of mud. And that is the reason why generosity. That is the reason why cheerful giving. That's the reason why that it will turn into thanksgiving. All of those principles that we looked at. Generosity. We always think about God so loved the world that he gave. What about our social circles? You know, our 
whether it's within the church or whether in our community, neighborhood, colleagues, or whatever it is, you know, the question has always been asked, am I my brother's keeper? The answer is yes, yes, yes. Through the years, those answers, the question has been asked. The answer has always been yes. We are social beings with social responsibilities and social accountabilities. We are our brother's keeper. And so... How am I generous in this relationship? You see, we find it difficult, even within that close nuclei, to be generous when it starts to spread out. How do we show love? How do we show joy and peace and generosity of patience and generosity of kindness and generosity of goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control? How do I exhibit this fruit of the Spirit in generous amounts? I'm reminded of God, who is our example. And as his children, it is expected. And generosity as a church. Tim Keller had this great quote. I'm going to read that to you. And I think this is just encapsulates how church is countercultural to the world. You see, the early church was strikingly different from the culture. The pagan society was stingy with its money and promiscuous with its body. A pagan gave nobody their money, but practically gave everybody their body. And, And the Christians came along, the church, and they gave practically nobody their body, but they practically gave everybody their money. Generosity. Generosity. You see, we've always said this, that generosity in our giving is an act of worship. So I want to turn, I want to turn your attention to where we get that from. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 18. If somebody can read that, that would be great. Philippians chapter 4, verse 18. You see that? It's a fragrant offering and a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Our giving, generosity, is like that sweet-smelling savor that goes up to God's nostrils. Given not with an attitude of getting back, giving not with an attitude that I have to give, um, uh, it's compulsory. No, the church will not ask you to give compulsory because the very effect of giving is lost. Giving is only because you're cheerful givers. And I'm thankful, you see, because, you see, one of the things that I, that, that I, that I see in our community is that we have been givers. The, the practice of taking collections on a Sunday morning comes to us from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2, where it says, on the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income. And so that's what we take as our practice. In the first day of the week, we collect. But I want us to understand that this giving is an act of worship 
sacrificial. There's, there's something called the Macedonian model that Paul talks about, where, where with the Macedonian uh, gave, the church gave, in 2 Corinthians 8 we read, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and beyond their ability, they gave. So self-generosity, spousal generosity, uh, generosity within the social circles, the generosity of the saints, but there's also this generosity towards those who are yet to be saved, the, the missions and the world on the outside. And I'm very thankful that this church, we have spared no cost in, in, as we out, do the outreach and the missions. And I'm thankful to God that we recognize that our generosity through which There'd be souls would be saved that as we gather around the throne of grace, there would be so many who would say, yeah, we are thankful for your giving. Because we said, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. So I asked myself this question on this last Sunday of 2017. Will we take a commitment to be generous? Generous in our love for each other. Generous in in our love for the lost. Patient. Faithful. Generous in the way we have have, uh, uh, shown our, our gratitude for all that God has meant to us. In, in his book, Improving Your Serve, Unselfish Living, Charles Swindoll writes about this story. And he, he writes about this time where it was the end of World War I. And Europe was devastated. They were picking up their you know, broken ends and putting together. But one of the worst things that had happened as a result of the World War One was that there were many orphans, many kids who had lost their parents. And he writes about the story where an uh, American soldier in his, in his truck as he drives by, he sees this, this little child who's got his uh, face pressed against the window of a bakery, and there inside you can see this, this baker making these donuts and glazing it and putting it away, and, 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 and this kid is just transfixed. And so this American soldier stops and comes up next to this little child and, and says, do you want some? The child says, yes. So he goes in and he gets him a dozen donuts, and he gives it to him. And as he turns to go, he f- turns to get into his, uh, into his truck. He feels a tug, and he turns around, and this little child asks, Mr., are you God? You see, the reason why I say this is because when you are generous, you are no more as God when you give, because God so loved the world that he gave. Now, at the end of this, if you think it, it, is, it is my desire to get hold of your purse strings. No, it is not. I want you to know that it's out of a grateful heart that we get generosity. If our hearts are not grateful for all that God has meant to us, then there is something wrong. 
Our generosity must come out as a result of this, of this utter gratitude for all that God has meant to us. And then we are, then we are sacrificial. Then we say, no, I'm not going to think about myself in this, in this having to hoard things for myself. I'm willing to give of myself. Of love, of patience, of, country, of all of those, those messy things that relationships bring. Or whether it's the need of the world. My prayer is that our church will be that. That we will be the generous one, not because we were compelled to give, because it's a moral orientation. And we have recognized it to be a moral obligation. May God bless you. Father God, we want to thank you for your son. We thank you for all that you've been to us, Lord. You gave without restraint. And we pray for ourselves, Lord. If in some way we have held back, forgiveness where forgiveness is due, love where love is due, support and help and emotion where it was due, whether it is in resource of time, money, energy, we have held back, even though you have prompted in our hearts, we pray that you would forgive us, Lord, that we would be the reflection of your son. You have told us, Lord, that the grace is priceless because it conforms us to the image of your son. It made this year end with this recognition that we are called to be generous because you are a generous God. And to that end, we pray, knowing, Lord, that you would work in our hearts to accomplish your purposes. We love you, Lord, and thank you for all that you mean to us. And all God's people said,